Good morning. <clears throat> uh, Jeff already mentioned this morning that I'm doing uh, graduate work. I'm doing my uh, doctorate at Southeastern in Old Testament and in the Psalms. <clears throat> and uh, I also work for Southeastern uh, full-time. I take care of their distance learning program. Uh, so I am, I am fully imbibed in uh, seminary world over there. And so there's a quick disclaimer before we begin this morning. In seminary world, we refer to all 150 psalms together as the Psalter. And uh, I have been threatened that they will come up and tackle me if I use the word Psalter on the stage. But I goofed in the 930 service and said it. So if I do in here, just understand when I say the Psalter, I'm not referring to the white stuff on the dinner table beside the pepper. Um, that uh, I'm referring to the book of all 150 psalms. And I, I promise I'll be extra diligent not to slip up and say that. Uh, if you know this first slide we've got here, this is off of a wonderful website called despair.com. If you ever have a few moments to, to goof off and need a laugh, uh, despair.com has several of these that you can order as posters. Uh, they also do those wonderful Valentine's Day hearts every February. You should read some of those. But uh, this particular one says mistakes. It could be that the purpose of your life is to only to serve as a warning to others. Uh, if you spend a lot of time around me, uh, get to know me, you'll find out that I have a, uh, just a talent for putting my foot in my mouth and uh, for saying the absolute wrong thing at the wrong time. It's a, it's a gift, really. Um, but uh, for example, one of the things that I used to do for the seminary, I was in charge of the network, I was in charge of the telephones, and someone accidentally cut a 100-pair bundle of wires, or a 50-pair bundle, I'm sorry, it's 100 wires all grouped together. So you can imagine, unless they were using a backhoe, this wasn't an accident. And uh, I got the wonderful job of putting these back together. And so uh, I'm looking at this just bundle of snakes on my left and on my right, thinking, you know, how do I do this? And um, <clears throat> I separated out the wire on the left that went to the phone system. And uh, now I just had to find its mate over here on the right, and I had to join these two back together. And so as I'm holding this one and trying to pick through, you know, 50 pairs of wires over here and look for the right color, all of these are just falling back in place. So I have this ingenious idea. I know, put the wire in your left hand in your mouth. And that'll free up both of your hands. So, uh, you know, three or four hundred volts later, I couldn't, I couldn't talk for three hours. I couldn't drink. Uh, it, was, it was just bad. So, um, another, another good example, a much more recent one. Now that I do distance learning, we have, a, we have several military chaplains who take classes at Southeastern Seminary. One of them is in Af Afghanistan right now. And... Uh, he was having a really hard day. He couldn't get in touch with the people he wanted to get in touch with. He couldn't get stuff done on campus. And I was in a pretty bad mood. So I just replied to his email and said, listen, I'm so sorry that this isn't working out. Uh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take care of this for you. Don't worry about it. And I'm real sorry about the other idiots here that you're having to deal with. Now, in talking about wisdom literature in the Old Testament, here's a little wisdom for you for your, your old Uncle Jerry, okay? Uh, whenever you're dealing with a customer or a client or a student, don't call the people you work with idiots in an email. This will make it back to your boss. And then you'll have to have a sit down and come to Jesus about referring to the people you work with as idiots in an email. That's just not a good thing. So uh, don't do that. So we're, uh, we're talking a lot about examples this morning. We want to move into the book of Psalms, into the individual Psalms, and we want to talk about them as an example. So before we do that, let's take a moment and pray this morning. Father, uh, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank you so much that you've given us your word. Uh, God, that we have uh, here before us uh, the revelation of you, uh, God, um, that we can sit down with and we can read and we can meditate on and we can let it change our life. God, we pray this morning that as we open up the book of Psalms to look at them, uh, 
God, that you would encourage us. You would encourage us from the, the men in the Old Testament that wrote these great prayers um, of heartache and sorrow and joy, uh, that we can look over their shoulders and we can identify with those and learn from those. God, also as we read the whole book of Psalms and see how it fits into the overall picture of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, uh, connecting the dots, as it were. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time this morning, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, when we look at the Psalms, just a quick introduction. Uh, the Psalms are very interesting in the Old Testament. They're a collection of individual prayers, uh, and they cover nearly the entire time span of the Old Testament. We have uh, Psalm 91 that starts out a prayer of Moses, the man of God. And this Psalm was probably written uh, sometime around the Exodus uh, when Moses was leading God's people. Um, but we also have several Psalms. Here we go. Uh, that say things like, by the rivers of Babylon we sat and we wept when we remembered Zion. Uh, this was when Israel was in the Babylonian captivity. You might remember uh, Pastor Larry's sermon from a couple of weeks ago. He talked about Esther and Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, Israel has uh, been taken captive. They're off in the northeast uh, in Babylon. And they get permission to come back and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem and rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. And so they're divided. Uh, Esther and Mordecai are examples of... Uh, um, people of Israel who stayed behind in Babylon, and uh, <clears throat> possibly some of these psalms come from that time. Some of these come from a little bit earlier than that, when uh, all of Israel was still there, and then some had already come back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and the wall, and we have psalms from that time. And as you know, that's right at the end of the Old Testament. That's at the close of it. So literally, just recorded in the psalms, we have about 1,400 years of uh, poetry from the Old Testament recorded for us. Um, the Psalms are also uh, composed by many authors. Uh, King David certainly has the most, uh, at least re recorded for us here. Um, he, uh, you know, uh, several things from uh, events in his lives, times of great joy, times of great triumph. And so we have David thanking God and praising God. Uh, times of great sorrow and heartache when his own son rebelled against him and pursued him. We have Psalms from then, uh, Psalms from when Saul and he were uh, pursuing one another when he was the right king, but Saul was still the reigning king. So uh, many by King David, most. Uh, we have psalms that are attributed to King Solomon, uh, Psalm of Moses that we just saw a minute ago, psalms of the sons of Korah, psalms of Asaph. Uh, we also have psalms that are just anonymous. They don't tell us anything about them, not the historical background, not the person who wrote them. Um, they're just an anonymous psalm that was included uh, purposely, intentionally, in our collection of uh, the books of psalms. So, um, we also have a wide range of topics covered in the Psalms. Uh, there are individuals who cry out to God. Uh, Psalm 3 4 is a great example of this. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. Uh, there are Psalms where the entire community cries out together to God. Psalm 44 26, rise up and help us because of your unfailing love. Was, you know, of course, given to God there. Uh, there are psalms of thanksgiving. In Psalm 18, there are 48 verses of what God has done in the life of David before David concludes with, Therefore, I will praise you among the nations, O Lord. The psalms were written by <clears throat> many authors. They cover a, a wide range of topics. And uh, unlike the first slide that we had up of a bad example, the psalms serve as a good example when we read them. The Psalms teach us about God and about His work and about His great deeds. And they teach us how to live rightly and how to think rightly when we're stuck in this world down here, which, always is, which is not always uh, good and beautiful and praiseworthy. 
Um, but they set a wonderful example for us. So there's a wonderful quote. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor uh, in Nazi Germany in World War II. So you can imagine if ever there was someone who had the occasion to read through the Psalms, uh, this, this pastor uh, was probably in them every day. Uh, he was also uh, involved in a plot, just a little bit of background on him, to overthrow Hitler. Uh, it went badly. Uh, he was caught, and it eventually cost him his life. Uh, but he uh, loved the Psalms, cherished them. And at one point in time, he's wondering, and he says, How is it the prayers of man to God have become the word of God to men? And I'd suggest this morning that that's a great way to think of the Psalms. The Psalms are the individual prayers of man to God. And we get to look over that author's shoulder and we get to read what they're writing and what's going on in their life. And it teaches us and instructs us how we're supposed to live right before God. But at the same time, all 150 of these have been put together in order, in a collection, and that makes up the book of Psalms in our Bible. And we don't want to neglect that either because when we read the Psalms as a book, there are things that just jump off the page um, at us as well. So let's start with the uh, individual prayers of man to God this morning. We have uh, Psalm 19, the first six verses. For the director of music, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out to all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. So right now in Life Change, we're talking about evangelism. And one topic that we've been talking about and and working through is how do we share our faith with our next-door neighbor, Bob? You see, Bob's not a philosophy expert. Bob doesn't have a degree in biology. If you say good morning to Bob, Bob is not going to lock you into a debate on atheism or evolution and eat your lunch, okay? What Bob has is Bob has a uh, big house. Bob has two nice cars. Bob has a jet ski. Bob has a busy life. Bob doesn't have time to God, and he just doesn't take time to think about God. And so when we look at Psalm 19, it gives us a great starting point with Bob. We can look at Bob and say, okay, Bob, when when you look around, When you look around at the oceans and the mountains and the trees and a blade of grass and ants that are crawling around in it, what do you think, Bob? Did all this just happen? Did it it crawl up out of the slime pool? Or or is there something bigger? Bob, Bob, do you think there's a God who created all of this? See, I'd be willing to bet you this morning, uh, 90% of the Bobs that are out there have grown up with some sort of background. They've grown up with a mom and dad or a grandmom and a granddad that went to church. And there's room in the way God views, in the way Bob views the world for God. And so now you have an open door. You've got a common ground to keep talking to Bob about. So let's look at the rest of Psalm 19. The rest of Psalm 19 tells us, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them is there, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth 
and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. See, now you have a place to take Bob. It's not just enough to look around at the trees and the mountains and the ocean and all of these things and admit there is a God. You have to go a step further than that. And it's God's word that restores the soul. It's God's word that rejoices the heart. It's God's word that enlightens the eyes. See, my, my wife loves to cross-stitch. And uh, she's done it since she was a little kid. If you go to her mom's house in Georgia, there are huge pieces all over their living room. There are huge pieces in our house that she's done. Um, there's even, if you stop by my office over at Southeastern, there's even a piece done in Hebrew for me for my 30th birthday. But one that she's done that I love that is in our house um, is a Galatians 2.20. It's very simple, silver cross, and then the words for Galatians 2.20, which you all know. It's, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And you see, mine and Mary Catherine's Bob, our, our next-door neighbor, came over to the house to help me out one day, and that piece at that time sat on our mantle. So when he walks in our den door, sitting right in front of him is this, and he walks over and looks at it, and he reads it. What's this? Well... It's a, it's a verse out of the Bible. I, I get that. But what's this? I've been crucified with Christ. Now, now I've got a conversation going with Bob. We're, we've moved past, do you believe in a God, when you look at mountains and trees and grass and that sort of stuff. I mean, we've come to the heart of it. And so, <clears throat> this morning, actually, in Life Change, as Jeff already mentioned, our teachers are covering methods of evangelism. And what they're talking about is a lot of different verses that you can share with Bob or Jane, or whoever your next-door neighbor or your co-worker at work happens to be. And so uh, let me encourage you uh, with another psalm out of uh, the book of Psalms that loves God's Word, Psalm 119. It says, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep His statutes and seek Him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in all His ways. You see, that's what Bob or Jane or whoever it is that you work with is going to have to have if they're going to have a right relationship with God. If they're going to be able to make sense of this messy world and the other psalms that we're going to talk about in a moment. But it's more than that. That's where you and I have got to camp out and that's where we've got to meditate because those are the ones who are blameless. Those are the ones who walk according to the law of the Lord. They're the ones who are blessed. All right, I know what you're thinking. Jerry, I get it. Life change. I see the slide that says shameless plug, evangelism. But you mentioned a few minutes ago this messy life. You mentioned that the Psalms give us the correct example of how to live and how to think rightly before God. So let's, let's take a look at some of those. Psalm 40, the first four verses. It says, For the director of music of David, a psalm, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Again, my guess this morning is that more than one person in the room has felt like this life was one big slimy pit. You've, you've felt like before you were stuck in the mud and the mire and all of the junk that this life throws at you. And, and I don't know what that is this morning. Maybe, maybe it's a job. Maybe you're just in a, in a rough spot in your job right now and you've got coworkers that instead of doing their job, you know, they're promoting themselves to your boss. Um, 
maybe the situation, just where you're at in life right now is hard. Maybe it's just tough. Um, you know, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe you only owned a truck for four months and an oak tree smashed it. I can show you the pictures. You know, whatever it is that right now is your mud and your muck and your mire. Uh, Noah Joyner lost a truck at that same time, by the way. Same tree, got both of us. You can talk to him about it too. But maybe whatever it is in your life right now that's got you in that mud and that muck and that mire, um, maybe you need to spend a few minutes with Psalm 40. Because what did David say? This was the Psalm of David. What did he say? He said, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. So wherever you're at in life right now, whatever the situation is, whatever it is that's just killing you and you're wondering where God's at, are you waiting patiently? How are you handling it? Because you see, there's a second part of this psalm, and this is the big part to me. The quote that we still have up there, it says, Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So here's the big question. Not just are you waiting patiently in whatever life circumstance it is that's got you down right now, but how are you handling it? Because this psalm tells us that if we handle it correctly, that many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And so what does your area of life look right, like right now? If the, if the church looks at you, if you're a small group, if the outside world, if the lost Bob and the lost Jane look at you and know what you're going through, what kind of example does that set for them? Is it something that's causing them uh, to turn and fear and put their trust in the Lord? Or are you handling it just like everybody else out there handles hardships and trials and junk that this life throws at you? Um, several years ago, along this same theme, um, my wife and I lost our first child. And uh, a psalm that meant a lot to us was Psalm 77. And uh, this one's pretty long, but just bear with me. Psalm 77, the first nine verses. For the director of music, for Jedithun of Asaph, a psalm. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me when I was in distress. I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and my soul refused to be comforted. I remembered you, O God, and I groaned. I mused, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart mused, and my spirit inquired. There we go. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Now that's a psalm we can get behind. Boy, when this life's throwing junk at you, when life's hard, when terrible things happen, when people you love die, or when you find out that they've got cancer, or you know when you're just not getting your way sometimes, this is a psalm that we all want to be right there with the psalmist. God, will you reject forever? God, will you ever show me favor again? Have you forgotten to be merciful? Did I do something to make you mad and so now you're withholding your compassion from me? Uh, keep reading. This is the second half of Psalm 77, the last ten verses. Then I said, it is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely, surely, I will remember your words, wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God 
is like our great God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your strength among the people. You have, by your power, redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you. They were in anguish. The deeps also trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth a sound. Your arrows flashed here and there. The sound of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea and your paths in the mighty waters and your footprints may not be known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So what should we do if we wonder if God cares, if he'll reject forever? Does he love us? We should remember God's work before. How many times in your life has God scooped down and saved you? How many times has God scooped down and picked up Jerry Lasseter and knocked the dust off of him and said, all right, back on the, back on the horse, keep going? How many times has he done that in your life? How many times has uh, he smashed a truck and replaced it with something else? How many times has he smashed a truck and it, and it didn't get replaced? You know, most of us would, would take that and just get more angry. I lost X and I, now what do I do? Remember God's deeds of old. Remember the ones that he's done in your life. Remember the ones that he's done in Scripture. Remember when you read your Old Testament how God cared for and loved and took care of Israel all through the Old Testament. And then when we get to the New Testament, how God loves and takes care of and cares for his church. That's the answer to where's God at? Does he care? Will he ever show me compassion again? Muse on his deeds. And remember, most of all, the the most telling verse in here, just for Jerry Lasseter that jumps out at me. Remember, God's way is holy. And there is no God like our great God. The the Bible itself uh, gives us a great example of how to use the Psalms. Uh, How to use the Psalms for, uh, for praise. How to use the Psalms for thanksgiving. How to use the Psalms when we are stuck in just uh, crummy areas of life. Uh, in Second Chronicles, they have just dedicated the temple. This is Solomon's temple. This is the first temple. This is the one that David wanted to build, and God told him, no, it'll be your son who builds a temple. And, of course, that was prophetic, both of Solomon building the temple in the Old Testament and of Jesus building the temple, which, you know, is us in the New Testament. Um, at the end of Solomon's prayer... He prays Psalm 132, verses 8 and 10. This is in 2 Chronicles 6, 41 and 42. He says, Now therefore arise, O Lord God, to your resting place. You and the ark of your might, let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation, and let your godly ones rejoice in what is good. O Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed. Remember your loving kindness to your servant David. So we have said as an example in the Bible of during a great time, a praiseworthy time, Someone praying the Psalms back to God. And so I I think I can encourage you this morning that that's a very good thing to do. Whether it's a praiseworthy time or a a time of thanksgiving or just a time where you're stuck in the mud and the muck and the mire of life, that uh, praying the Psalms back to God is is an excellent thing to do. And it's set forth as an example in Scripture. The people respond, not in prayer, but in chapter 7 when they affirm Solomon's prayer and the dedication of the temple and they quote, quote Psalm 136.1 and affirm it. They say, truly, he is good. Truly, his loving kindness is everlasting. And so again, we see the, the people using the Psalms and quoting those and saying those back to God. It's an example set for us. We've talked a good bit about the individual Psalms this morning, even, even though we've just covered a few and we've covered them quickly. I, I think you get the idea of being able to look over the shoulder of the author and identify with where they're at 
and be able to offer thanksgiving and being able to, to offer praise and being, learning from those and being able to think right uh, about God and to live right before God in this life down here with everything that it throws at us. The second thing that we want to talk about this morning was the second part of the quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that they've become the word of God to men. And that is looking at the whole collection, all of the psalms that we have for us in our Bible, 1 to 150, and reading all of those. Because when we do that, we notice things jump off the page at us as well. Um, There's a great conversation between two rabbis preserved for us today. We can get to it. And uh, they were talking about this very thing. They were talking about, are they just individual psalms? Do we just read them? Is it a whole book? What do we do with these things? And so a, a certain man says to Rabbi Abihu, It is written, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Psalm 3.1. And it's also written, a miktam of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. Which event happened first? Did not the event of Saul happen first? Then let him write it first. You see what he's struggling with, right? He doesn't understand why the psalms aren't in some sort of order. If most of them are written by David, why aren't they in the order of David's life? Why doesn't the psalm of Moses start as Psalm 1 if it's the oldest one in there? Why are these put in this order that they're put in? So here's the rabbi's response. He replied to him, For you who do not derive interpretations from juxtaposition, that is, setting them side by side, the order that they're in, there's difficulty. Why is the chapter of Absalom juxtaposed to the chapter on Gog and Magog? So that if one should say to you, is it possible that a slave should rebel against his master? You can reply to him. Is it possible that a son should rebel against his father? Yet this happened. I know sometimes when you uh, read stuff from uh, 150, 1,000 years ago, it's kind of like listening to Mr. Spock out of Star Trek and you're scratching your head going, huh? Uh, I get that. Don't miss the big point of what's going on in this conversation. A guy comes to a rabbi and he's earnestly struggling with, why do we have these 150 psalms? Are they in any sort of order? Why aren't they in this order? What's the deal? And the rabbi's response is, yes, you're not getting meaning from how these psalms are arranged in order. And for you, it's creating difficulty. But if you do read the psalms in order and get meaning from that, no problem. And so... It's no, uh, it's no surprise then that when we begin to look at the end of the book of Psalms, that the entire book ends this way. You, you should notice a big theme jumping out at you. A psalm of praise of David. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Psalm 146. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Psalm 147. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and praise is becoming. Are you all noticing the theme? Is it right? All right. 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, and His praise in the congregation of the godly ones. And Psalm 150. This is Daniel Creswell's favorite psalm. We're going to look at all of it. Praise the Lord. Praise the God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty expanse. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with harp and lyre. Praise Him with timbrel and dancing. Praise Him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You see, when we look at the whole book of Psalms, 
there are other themes that jump off the page of us, page at us. Not, not just the end with this command time and time again to praise God, praise God, praise God. But there are other themes that run all the way across there. Uh, the wicked, they're a, they're a character, if you will, in this book of Psalms that appear over and over again. And so in Psalm 1, we're told the wicked are like chaff. That's the unusable part around grain. Uh, you might think of it next time you're down at Texas and you're cracking open one of those peanuts to eat it and you rub the red stuff off of the peanut, that's chaff. It's, it's nothing. It's, it's unusable. It's worthless. It amounts to nothing. It, you know, Sweep it up at the end of the night and throw it away. And we're told that's what the wicked are like. But then notice in Psalms 3, 7, and 10, uh, immediately following, the people are crying out for the wicked to be destroyed. They're being tormented. And then in Psalm 9 and 10, it says that the wicked will be ensnared and they will go to the grave. In Psalm 12, we're told, but the, freely, the wicked freely strut about. And in Psalm 17, you have an individual again saying, Rescue me from the wicked. I'll save you the survey of the rest of the Psalms. We'll jump to the end. When we get to the end, Psalm 145, it says, The wicked he will destroy. That is God. Psalm 146, he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Psalm 147, the Lord casts the wicked to the ground. You see, when we read the whole Psalms, when we read all 150 of them, there are themes like this that just jump off the page. That, that down here, when we're talking about the mud and mire of life, that they are wicked. And that the wicked freely strut about and that the wicked get what they don't deserve and those types of things. But God reminds us time and time again, all the way through the book of Psalms, they're like chaff. They're nothing. I'm going to cast them down. And by the time we come to the end of the book of Psalms, there's no more going back and forth. God tells us he'll destroy the wicked. He's frustrating their ways, that he will cast them to the ground. There are other themes when we read all 150 Psalms that leap off the page. Uh, Psalm 2, verses 7 and 8. Uh, this is a, an amazing individual who appears in the Psalm. We'll talk more about him when I get to the end of these. It says, I will, excuse me, I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Also in Psalm 2, he says, Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all, blessed are all who take refuge in him. There's also uh, Psalm 72. He will endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon, through all generations. He will be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. In his days, the righteous will flourish, prosperity will abound, till the moon is no more. He will rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Also in Psalm 72, may his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. All nations will be blessed through him, and they will call him blessed. Uh, another one, Psalm 91. Uh, psalm 91 you're actually familiar with, even if you have never read it before. This is the psalm that Satan quotes to Jesus in the wilderness, in the temptation that we're told about in the Gospels. When Jesus is out there, Satan quotes part of this to him. He quotes uh, verses 11 and 12 and says, uh, Doesn't Scripture say his angels take charge concerning you? They lift up their hands so you do not strike your foot against a stone. Uh, Psalm 91 is very interesting because it uses this you language all the way through the beginning of it. Uh, won't the angels lift you up so that you don't strike your foot against a stone? But when we get to the end of it, it switches. 
And it's the Lord speaking. It says, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Uh, Possibly the, the biggest one of all, Psalm 110 says of David, a psalm, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in holy majesty. From the womb of the dawn, you will receive the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook beside the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Notice here in the Psalm of David, back on the first slide, that uh, David speaking, and he says, The Lord, capitalized, that's the covenant name, Yahweh. So Yahweh says to my Lord, now here's the question, who is King David's Lord? Who, who was over King David? And then again in verse 4 he says, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. You see, running, reading the whole book, Psalm 1 to 150, we run into psalms and we run into verses that just can't be explained away. Uh, they, they hint at things that reach far beyond that particular moment in time and that particular author who was writing uh, that psalm. And they don't quite fit in the Old Testament. And so why? Why do these leap off the page at us? Why do we notice these things? It's because time and time again, the Old Testament presents us with men who stand before God and represent Him to the people. We have the priests, we have prophets, we have kings. And in all of those categories, we have priests who do right in the sight of God, and we have priests who are wicked. We have prophets who are right before God, and we have prophets that are false. We have kings that are good and loving and just kings before God, and then we have ones that are evil. But over and over and again in the Old Testament, there are hints that there's a prophet and a priest and a king who's the prophet, priest, and king. He's the one. He'll never do anything wrong. He won't do anything wicked before God. He will rule his people honestly and fairly forever. He'll sit on the throne forever, as we've just read. He'll be a priest forever. These are the things that jump off uh, the page at us that we have to deal with. And uh, this, this is nothing new. Again, here's a quote from a rabbi long, long ago who's reading the Psalms. And this is what he says. He says, next slide. He says, and he, the human author of the Psalms, speaks what is spoken after the manner of men, except that a higher spirit, we would say the Holy Spirit, moves him and reveals the words upon his tongue, words of praise and thanksgiving to his God, or words of wisdom and instruction. He also speaks concerning the future, with, he, with the divine assistance in addition to the power of the speaker. And in this power, the book of Psalms was uttered. My, my job this morning has been to convince you that the Psalms uh, mean something, that they're worthy, that you should read them in your life. Now, to be honest, that's the easy part of this morning. 
Because if you ask the person on your left or your right before you leave this morning, what's your favorite psalm? Odds are they're going to have an answer for you. They'll be able to say Psalm 27, Psalm 23, Psalm 145. You see, y'all already read the psalms and you love them. What I want to convince you of is that not only are they, are they good and are they comforting, but they teach us how to think right about God and how to live right before God when we're caught up in all of the mess down here. And they also teach us how to praise God when things are going well. They teach us how to thank God. They teach us, if you don't mind me using a big term, correct theology when we're living life down here on this you know, earth with everything that's caught up. Going back to the quote from the rabbi for a moment, you notice there's some ambiguity there. There's just a future look and there's nothing else said. Why is that? Why is it when we read the Psalms, these things jump off the page at us, um, but, they're, but they're veiled, if you will. They're, they're a, a shadow. They're not 100% clear. There's not a verse back here that says, Hey, Jerry, Jesus is this guy that we're talking about. It's because the Psalms aren't the whole story. And that's where they fit in the whole story of Christianity. They fit right in the Old Testament. Continually reminding you that, listen, there is a prophet, there is a priest, there is a king that's coming. There is a Messiah who's coming. And then we get, because we do have the whole story, we get Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John say, this Jesus is that Messiah that you're looking for. This one right here. This Jesus who is God and man born to the Virgin Mary, who lived here on this earth in this life just like we do, but completely did not sin. This Jesus who was tried unjustly under Pontius Pilate, who was convicted of a crime he didn't commit, who was crucified on a Roman cross. Paul in 1 Corinthians tells us that he was crucified according to the Scriptures, that is the Old Testament. He died, he was buried, he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. When he um, rose from the dead, he appeared first to Peter and the twelve and then to a whole multitude of people. And then he ascended back to God the Father and that Jesus is coming again. And that's where the Psalms fit into this whole big picture. We can read them and they tell us how to think right and how to live right. They line up with situations that go on in our life. And at the same time, they fit in the big picture. Because they tell us about the Messiah. They tell us about Jesus who came and died and rose again so that we could be restored to a right relationship with God. And so I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up this morning. Maybe right now you're stuck in the middle of something that you consider to be mud and mire, and you just need to take some time to read through the Psalms and just gain encouragement from them, uh, gain insight and wisdom, since we're talking about wisdom literature in the Old Testament. Maybe, Maybe you're just identifying with the first half of Psalm 77 this morning. Maybe you're right there with, God, are you just... God, will you remember me? God, are you going to forget me forever? Maybe you need to take some time and just read through the second half of Psalm 77. (laughs) Maybe there's something going on in your life that, like David, when he wrote a psalm repenting of his sin with Bathsheba, maybe there's something going on that you just need to repent well of. Or maybe this morning you have uh, never heard of this promised Messiah in the Old Testament, Jesus, who Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us is that Messiah. And that uh, you need to know more about him and you need to have a relationship with him. And so if that's the case this morning, the worship team is going to lead. The altar is open. Y'all come on. Mm-hmm.